1: Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Erica Rivanoia. Hello, Erica. Hi,
0: Pilar. Hi.
1: I'm very excited that you're here. You have so many awesome credits. They're amazing. All right. Are you ready to hear everybody? Everybody ready to hear Erica's awesome credits? They are. Erica Rivanoia is... A television and feature writer, she spent 11 years as a writer-producer on South Park, where she won two Emmy Awards. She has also written for numerous television shows, including Up All Night, Marry Me, Bad Teacher, Grounded for Life, and the short-lived but much-loved Clone High. She was also a co-executive producer on the critically acclaimed comedy The Last Man on Earth. In addition to her television work, she has been active in feature films. She's written on the features Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 2, dreamworks trolls girls trip and the adams family and she's currently show currently the showrunner for the reboot of clone high which we will totally talk about and she's directing the new animated feature for warner brothers animation called ready this might sound familiar the cat in the hat yes yes people have
0: heard of it i hope they've heard of that
1: (laughs) they better tell me about about that version of the cat in the hat. So this is the animated version. Is it working with the same sort of Dr. Seuss look that we grew up with in the books as opposed to the, the live action movie?
0: Yeah, we're trying to, I'm, I'm co-directing it with, um, Art Hernandez and we are basically trying to sort of return to much more of the Seussian, aesthetic and look I feel like a lot of the movies in the past have just gone sooth to the max like every a cup was all soothed out and everything was crazy and so we sort of just want to boil it back down and really make it look much more like his books used to look mm-hmm. like if you think about his books they he was very judicious about what he actually put on the page there mm-hmm. were not backgrounds, there was lots of white. Um, so we're really sort of trying to go with a new look for this one and just sort of really um just really get back to the roots of what what Seuss wanted to do and hopefully do something really special with that. So you know yeah. I,
1: re- I remember you know reading The Cat in the Hat over and over and over again when I was a little kid and getting stressed out because I'm like this is a party that has gone a little crazy. Like like hey cat, man, you know, you're making a big mess. Stop it. And it is, you know, it is that you got like the 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 worst house guest ever who's just like, "Hey man, let's let's do this thing and be cool. It's all right. Your mom won't mind. It's okay." Right? But that's pretty much it. Um when you're breaking yeah. story without breaking confidence because I know that you're you're in the middle of this. NDA would out
0: the wazoo. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I won't push you too much, but is there is there a way, let's say, you could tell everybody that when they are adapting a children's book, to think about where the movie is in something that's a simple story like a children's book. Right.
0: Yeah. I think. Well. Well, this one is really interesting because the cat is so iconic but when you boil it down to what is the cat's character what motivates the cat what why does the cat show up we really don't know any of the background of that we really don't know much about what drives this cat how, why why does the cat show up there was no babysitter requested it's just a cat that shows up when kids are around and it's been really fun to get to dive into that backstory and to really make it up, but still be true to what's on the page in the Seuss books. Um, but if you think, I, I also worked on um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too, mm-hmm. which I can talk about much more freely since it sure, already came. Out. Sure. Um, but that one was another thing where if you know the book at all, there's just the basic concept of there was food coming down from the sky, but we don't know why that was happening. And so that's what I've, I've found most fun about doing these children's books that become movies is sort of figuring out and really articulating the why. Because it's such a short book, you know, they're 20 page books, but you have to turn it into a 90 page screenplay. So you really have to make sure that it's, that, that you're giving some depth to it, and then it's more it's more fun. Not more fun. The original book was really fun, but, you know, it's, it's
1: about uh, backstory and character and the why and that sort of thing. And maybe that why would it come out later on sort of in the story is to, aha, so we figured out the motivation. And when we figure out the motivation, then we can figure out how to solve this problem a little bit.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's been really fun because you – You get the rights to this book and you're like, this is such a great book. And then when you actually sit down, there's not very much in it. (laughs) And that's what's great about children's books is you fill in the blanks and you as a child get to make it whatever you want. But when you're sitting down to do a movie, that just doesn't happen.
1: That's my husband. Oh, hello. That's a great husband. I know. He just he just brought brought uh, Erica a drink. The way yeah. that a husband should, when one is okay. podcasting, yes, <laughs>
0: Exactly.
1: yeah. I know that sounds condescending, but it's true. So no, it's definitely
0: you true. It's high time it's high time. <laughs>
1: um, yes, he is pretty great though. <laughs> but it's you were talking. The <laughs> <laughs> so you were talking about the simplicity of of a kids' book, right? And right. um, and. Yeah, you're right. The imagination does it. And then you have to fill in these blanks as the writer. Um, do you ever go back to talking to the original author? Do I, I'm just curious about that. I know with Dr. Seuss, of course, you cannot.
0: It would be impossible to do that. But we do get to deal with um, the woman who runs the Seuss estate, mm-hmm. Susan Grant, a lot. And she uh, knew Audrey Geisel and knew all of... Um, knew a lot of the family and knew a lot about what went on into the production of this book. And um, we also, we're going to get a trip down to the Seuss archives in uh, La Jolla once the pandemic is no longer happening. And I'm so excited to just go and get to learn more about um, him and just what he had all this crazy art that is so not children friendly at all. And just really, amazing stuff and we want to try to incorporate a lot more of his um his original artwork too
1: and i would imagine like doing that also incorporates his original vision a little bit helps you get inside of what this character was about exactly
0: um you know we um i was thinking about trolls which Mm -hmm. i did Mm -hmm. and that was such a funny thing that i feel like a lot of hollywood writers are doing right now which is a studio gets the rights to a product basically the trolls were pencil toppers um, and little characters but then they're saying okay make a movie out of this and there's no the trolls didn't have any individual characters it was just a product and you see it happening with all of these you know, games and barrel of monkeys is a movie and stuff. So it's really interesting how studios want to buy the product and then say, okay, you, you make a movie out of it here. Go here. Here. Come up with characters and a movie. Yeah. It's just, this it's really interesting about what's, what sort of the, the mode is right now that a lot of studios
1: are in. Now that was also, was that also number two or that was number one? That was the first one. Yeah. So with trolls, uh, what was your, you know, there are a lot of writers uh, listed on AMDB with these kind of things because they oh, go through so many. Uh... <laughs>
0: Three years long and nobody wants to stick around and writers get replaced all the time. My agent told me not to say that you get fired, but uh, writers get replaced. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, it, it also there's so many, it, it goes through so many uh levels of approval, then you've also got the actual animating of it and the story changes. I actually want to ask you about something, but you can tell me if, if I didn't like clear this with you. Okay. And if if, if you're not comfortable with this, but I did notice story by a lot on IMDB. Now story by is this really like for, for writers, they're not really sure what that credit means and I'm just wondering, sort of, what your interpretation of story by is, at least in terms of your participation with this kind of credit. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just to maybe do some clarification for yeah. a- around this.
0: I would, I mm. would love if there was truly something super clear to say about it. But it's very, it's very confusing. So in the in animated features, they are not writers guild. So. Story by on a writer's guild movie actually means you have a certain percentage of the draft that you created. So like on girls trip, I share a story by credit because I did, I think it was the first two drafts of the movie. And even though not very much of mine wound up in the, um, in the final movie, which, um, is great <laughs> because it was a huge <laughs> success. So,
1: <laughs> so
0: obviously they knew what they were doing. Um, but um, so I share story by credit for that. And that's just because uh, Writers Guild makes it so that the initial writer gets a shared story by credit. Um, as far as trolls, the story by credit is just randomly decided by the studio. There's no sort of, board that you can go to or place that you can um, ask for the appropriate amount of credit. So basically I did the first two years on the film and then they brought in two other writers that sort of did the last two years or two and a half. And they happened to be more senior writers and they got the screenplay by credit. Um, so it wasn't, yeah, it's interesting. I I mean, Screenplay definitely gets you more, you get box office bonuses and those sorts of things. But story by, in my opinion, doesn't mean that you didn't have a giant hand in the creation of it. In Many times the story by credit is sort of the person who laid out the whole spine of the movie and then a lot of screenplay by people come along and just you know, jazz up the dialogue and change some character names, and then they get screenplayed by credit. Not always, but sometimes that's how it works. So you're still a writer, even if it's just a story by credit. It's still, I I think it's important for people to still feel ownership over that and know that you are a part of it.
1: And clearly, you know, the way that you're talking is you uh, aren't incredibly precious about anything. You seem to understand like, that's the way the business is. I'm in the business I created, I got a credit for it. And you've moved on because you have so much material that you've worked on. Um, did that take a while to get that kind of a thick skin or. Oh, yeah? my,
0: oh my gosh. Don't, don't make it. Don't think that I did not have nights crying. By the way. <laughs> Um, Yeah, it's definitely, I still do not have a thick skin. Um, I'm still very sensitive and everything everything hurts in Hollywood. (laughs) Um, But I do think that I've just become more of a realist and more of sort of, oh, okay, well, this is how it goes. There's always multiple writers on a feature. There's always multiple writers on everything. And I've just sort of learned that, if it's not my total passion product project, then it's fine. We can just move on. There will be other work, and and um, yeah, that's what I say to people anyway. But
1: yeah, I definitely. <laughs> <do that. laughs> you seem like a really inventive person. I mean, the things that you've been involved with, you know, um, so you seem to be involved with them at the early stages where all this story invention is happening. Do, do you go around going? what if this or what if that or I think this would even be funnier this way. Like, are you kind of a, a machine that way or or do you get your inspiration in strange ways?
0: I that's such a good question. I'm kind of a machine, but also it's so weird because sometimes people will come to me with a tiny little idea that I had never been interested in. And then all of a sudden, like trolls, for instance, you know. Who cares about trolls? But then I started to think, well, actually, it would be really cool if this was a movie that could really focus on a young female character and her having to take over for her father and also her being super unapologetically girly, because I really, I like that. I like having a character where she can be girly and like things that are feminine and like, cupcakes and unicorns and rainbows. And that's totally fine. Um, And so, yeah, so I guess I'm just I'm inspired by whatever people will pay me to write.
1: (laughs) Well, there's some inspiration right there. Let's let's talk about Clone High because I know you're really excited about that. You're working on it right now. It's a reboot of the animated MTV show from 2001, 2002. Is that right? Yes. And when, I mean, these days, who knows, but uh, when are you projecting it to come out again?
0: Well... Probably in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know yet. It's we're just at the very beginning stages of putting together the staff. Um, but I was it was one of my very first writing jobs. I went to college with Chris Miller and Phil Lord. And then they were a little bit older than me. And then they moved out here and got this deal to make this animated show called Clone High. And they asked me to be a writer on it. So I think they were 25 at the time, and I was 23, and it was just, uh, it was just bananas. It was a bunch of two young people not knowing what they were doing, running this crazy show, and it was super duper fun. But um, so it was always very fun, and I was always really thankful to those guys for giving me my first job. And I was a staff writer, and now it's so much fun to. Come back, and suddenly the show seems kind of relevant because um, we need good leaders right now. And so the idea that we could clone all the leaders of the past and raise them to be good leaders um, now um, suddenly seems relevant. So it's
1: so actually. For people who don't know what this show is, it's an animated show uh, about teenagers in high school who also happen to be clones of really famous people. The one in 2001 and 2002 that I saw was Abe Lincoln and Joan of Arc and Gandhi. Who have you added to your cast for this round?
0: We have added, well, I don't know if you know what happened with the original one. So, Oh, so there was a fun reason that it was canceled. Um, the, uh, there was a hunger strike in India, over the portrayal of Gandhi, um, as a super party animal in In, high.
1: There was a hunger strike just over the the animated MTV show you were working on.
0: Yes. Wow,
1: man. No
0: MPs. Um, yeah. So it was a whole thing. So Viacom canceled the show. So we were, we were part of cancel culture. We were like the very start of cancel culture, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. We did a terribly offensive thing. Wow. Um, so it's really interesting coming back with that weighing on us, which is okay. Well, this is why it shut down in the first place. So now having that knowledge and also it's, you know, almost 20 years later, how do we do it better? How do we not make those mistakes? Um, how do we bring more people in? I mean, that that writer's room was just all white. I was the only diversity in there because I was a woman, mm-hmm. but um, that's about it. So it's, it's really interesting, and we're really excited to bring in some new characters. We're going to have um, Harriet Tubman. Um, and just like the original Harriet Tubman, she's a total theater geek. Uh, <laughs> and we're also having Christopher Columbus, which... Um, I don't know if you know, but now is not the best time to
1: be the clone of Christopher. Right, right, (laughs) right. You're going to have to reckon with a lot of stuff that you did. Yep.
0: So he is calling himself Topher Bus now. (laughs) He is the super woke white guy who's just always asking Harriet, you know, how can I be an ally? How can I help you? And he's just that but like so liberally you want to choke him. Based. Right.
1: He's just obnoxious yeah. with the liberal
0: obnoxious white apologist. Got um, it. So I think that there's really fun stuff. We're having all the original characters except for Gandhi, who is, the, uh, we're not up for hunger strikes anymore. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So, but we're bringing back the new, the old characters and part of the fun of the series is that they have to deal with how much the world has changed. They've been frozen in a meat locker for the past 20 years. I see. It's animated so you can do stuff
1: like that. Right. So, yeah,
0: they sort of have to deal with that. Um, So I
1: think it's really fun. Was there anything aspirational for you? Like, I'm going to unfreeze this person and they're going to fix something. Like, was it kind of like gave you a sense of control a little bit? Yes, totally.
0: It's, it's so funny because the show is very smart and very dumb. You know, it's tons, tons of fart jokes, but also with really specific historical humor. So it's, weird. it's a weird way to go. I, definitely, I just love Joan of Arc so much. And I just want her to save everything, basically. Yes.
1: Yes. Joan of Arc for in 2024. That would be great. Oh, she would be fantastic. Yes, she yes. would totally be fantastic. Come on, and we're also,
0: JFK was one of the original characters and he was just a total bully. And so we're trying to get him to become more woke and it's going to be, it's so silly and dumb, but it's really fun because it feels like there's, there's actual content right now that we need to be saying about what it means to be, a leader and what it means to put other people first and yeah so
1: oh my we'll god see. good yeah. lord now you were on south park for years and um we talk about a you know learning on the job right i mean every you must have refined your funny you're already funny but the kind of comic gymnastics that you must have had had to do for that show Um, what, I guess for South Park fans, just give me a window into what a day writing on South Park was like.
0: It was the writers actually had it pretty easy. I don't know if you've seen the documentary six days to air about the production of South Park.
1: No, no. I mean, I remember I, I was around in the nineties for the viral video, which was literally uh, a videotape. I was one of the people that, you know, this videotape was sent around. It was Mm -hmm. a Christmas card that um, uh, with a battle between Jesus Christ and and, uh, Santa. And it it had gone around to like, hey, look at this. It's this little short about this battle between and and, you know, it was being made. Copies were being made and I got a copy of it. And I was like, this is hilarious. So I do remember the birth of of South Park, but that's all that I know.
0: Yeah. So I I started I think it was season 5 and I was very young and it was really intimidating because it was you know Trey and Matt who were the most famous people I'd met at that time and I think there were three or four other writers it was a very small writers room and it was really just a okay, what's this week's episode going to be? The episodes air on Wednesday and we would start working on next week's episode on Thursday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: I know, it was crazy. So that Thursday we would come in and and we would think, okay, well, what's this one going to be about? What's in the news? What's happening? What do we want to do? And come up with three or four scenes or set pieces or funny things that Trey would write Trey wrote everything. And he would say, okay, I got something to write, I can send it to the animators. So he basically started on Thursday, we would start with three or four scenes and get those done. And then we'd come back on Friday and just sort of do a few more scenes. So it really, was a really backwards way of writing story i so when i went on to other shows i had no story experience they're train matter geniuses but it was very much like putting together a quilt like looking at the the cards up on the board and okay well we need something to transition from that scene to this scene so let's make this scene so it was really um really trial by fire, but it was very intimidating at first. And then it just, it was so fun. I mean, it's where I really learned, oh, you have to just talk and stand up for yourself. And it's scary when you're a staff writer and everybody's just throwing around jokes and they're hilarious and you have to just sort of get your little voice in there. And, um, yeah, so it taught me, it really taught me to just start talking and, uh, and it was so fun. Oh my gosh. And the amount of times I got farted on were just infinite.
1: There you it's go. Those, yeah, really
0: classy. Really, you, classy.
1: you know, you run the room now. You are the showrunner. Maybe yeah. like a no farting on me rule. I
0: have, I have had that rule in other shows as well. It's yeah. good
1: to be the queen now. It really is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yes. Now you go from feature to TV and back again. Um, what? what shifting do you have to do, uh, creatively? Like structurally, do you have to remind yourself of certain things? Are you good at, about going back and forth between the structures? Do you pay attention to structure? Just curious. Um, I, it's really funny cause I,
0: I am not a good story structure person. I was never, you know, I got my start in South Park. I never went to grad school. I never took screenwriting classes. So I always feel like I'm an unlicensed screenwriter working, you know, you somebody's going
1: to come in and bust you and be like, you're yeah, a fraud. Yeah. You never learned three act structure yeah. properly. Actually, <laughs> until like the last five years where I've sort of been like, oh, shoot, I should
0: probably learn this. <laughs> um, but it, it's really interesting because in TV, there, especially in sitcoms, which I worked in mostly, there's such a distinct structure that inherently comes because of the commercial breaks. So I was learning to write acts and learning to write act breaks and story structure, but just because of commercials, basically. So then when I started doing features, it really took a lot more um, research and sort of me studying and trying to learn actual story structure while doing features. And also, I, I love going back and forth between the two of them, because I love a TV writer's room. It's so much fun. It's so it's, it's just the most, you know, it's a group of people that hate each other and love each other all at the same time. And you just spend all this time together. And then as soon as that starts to get really annoying, then I'm just like, okay, I'm just doing features. But then features are so lonely because you're the only writer and you're sitting at home trying to card everything by yourself and you just think, oh, if I just had a few other people here. So then I love going back to television. So it's this sort of, I don't know, I I like doing them both. Television also has such good cycles. Like You always know where you stand in television. The show's going or it's not. You know, it was picked up or it wasn't, but features just take
1: forever. So that's sort of where I am. But now yeah. your your kids are six and ten. Is that what you said? Or six and seven? Seven and ten. Seven and ten. So they're really prime age for so much of what you've written. Yes. How finally. fun is that? Or do you get to be like, mommy? Mommy wrote this. Mommy wrote that. You want to see it? Mommy? Mommy? It, like, are they are they proud of you? Or are they into your work? They are.
0: I. Yes, they are finally proud of me. My mom, another story. She's still <laughs> super psyched about all of, the, all of the South Park stuff. Oh,
1: that's so <laughs> funny.
0: Um, but, but yeah, they're really, you know, we got to take Ivan to the Adams Family premiere. Cool. I think I have a story by credit on that. And it was so fun to just. We got to walk on the red carpet and it was terrifying. And I thought, why am I doing this to a small child? But it was so it's cool to see them or they'll read a book and they'll come down and say, this would be a great movie.
1: That's you should- awesome. You have a development team right in your house.
0: We have a development team.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's really nice. Do you ever like, you know, I I found myself yesterday talking to my 15 year old about a high school project I'm working on with a writer and I was running by some things going, does this feel realistic to you? Or, you know, if this happened to you, what do you think a, a response would be of like the crew you hang with or, you know, that kind of thing? Do your kids ever say that's dumb or... Or like, do they ever help you with certain things? Do you ever run things by them?
0: Um, not specific dialogue, mm-hmm. um, yes, but sometimes I just say, "Is this is this something you'd be interested in? Is this cool? Do you like fairies anymore? Are fairies cool in your world? You know, like that sort of thing, which I think is is interesting to do with them. But it's also hard because their tastes change every minute sure, you know? sure. one minute Paw Patrol is the thing and then it's embarrassing so it's really hard but I definitely it, they're really good reminders of what's funny to kids because everything's funny to kids and you can just watch a show that you know if a joke didn't go so great they still love it <sighs> like they really they're a really good audience so that's really nice
1: Now, uh, I always love it when people sort of have creative tips for the people who are listening in terms of something that they do well with the process, whether it's dialogue, character work, you know, story structure, or just laying out the story. Anything you think you do well, is there a writing tip that you might have for people who are listening?
0: Um. I would say I'm good at finding the funny in things, which is um, I think that a lot of, of people when they want to write comedy think that it just has to be funny jokes in the dialogue. And I would say going back to the idea of situational comedy if you put them in a funny situation and you inherently make the situation funny, then it's going to be much easier to find the comedy. Or if you inherently make the character funny, it's much easier to find the comedy in it. And I think that a lot of people just think, you know, comedy is just all witty banter and things, but I think that it's, you can, it's a lot easier on yourself. If you find the game of a scene or, um, or what is really, the set piece of everything, just sort of looking at comedy a little bit more globally, as opposed to just one joke for a character to say.
1: I love that. Makes- it does. It does. So changing up the situation. Now you right. said also the game of the scene, the game means different things to different people. Just mm-hmm. curious as to how you see the game of the scene. Is that sort of somebody's objective and then how you play it? Is it, is yeah. that what you mean by the the game of the scene? Yeah
0: yeah, like what's somebody's objective and then what is getting in the way of that? Or it can be something as dumb as, a, uh, you know, just you have to, oh, I'm not going to think of a good example here, but like if someone's, if two characters are having a fight, well, what can you do to make it that much funnier? Well, okay, well, they have to be chopping watermelon while they're having a fight. Terrible example, but at least you have them doing something. So it gives them something to play as as opposed to just two characters standing there. So you just want to sort of add to the dramatic tension and the the comedy of that
1: all. And the game of the scene there, if they're chopping watermelon, might be that as they're fighting, they're also competing with who can chop more or faster, right? Exactly.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And then when we get to set piece, because you said, you also said set piece. Now set piece also is one of those terms that you know, I've, I just got done teaching a rewrite class this morning on set pieces. My take on it has always been, you've got a setting. How do you take advantage of your environment and the genre and the story that has to be told in that scene and put them all together and turn your setting into a comedy or action set piece, something that's memorable, scene worthy. Yeah. Does that sound kind of like how you see set piece?
0: Yes, exactly. It's the big the big comic moment or the big comic idea or what is the, what's the fun trailer moment of it all? Um, yes, exactly that. You know, how can we do something really fun and amazing and special, um, in this one, in this one moment, I think. And nice I'm not today chopping watermelon. I'm not going to sleep tonight thinking about how the funniest thing I could think of was chopping watermelon.
1: Look, I think there's a lot that you could do with chopping watermelon because then you know you have to eat the watermelon. Then it could be like a watermelon eating contest. Thank you. You, Thank you, you can throw you. rinds at each other. It becomes a set piece, right?
0: You're very nice. You're very nice. Yes, we need to get somebody to punch punch up the um, chopping
1: watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, okay. It, Listeners, don't judge me for that. No, one. I'm just saying the challenge is there. Okay. The chopping watermelon scene, it's yours. Do with it what you will.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Great. I'm going to get a lot of emails with submissions for chopping watermelon scene. <laughs> Good. I see a, I see an impromptu contest happening. Okay. I've got one other question. Cause I asked you sort of a tip about, about writing and excellent mm-hmm. answer. So now this has to do with career. Okay. Great. So, the kind of like, if you knew then what you know now kind of question, like a, mm-hmm. a career tip for aspiring writers, people who want to have a career like you, something that would be good for them to know as they go forth.
0: I think you just have to take more chances. And it, there's been this weird thing. I So I have just gotten my first job as a director. And I'm 43. And all of these guys that I know and that I came up with have been directors much earlier. And it's because they went in and they said, I'm a director. There was no some sort of, um, I, I don't know, I was just raised to be, you know, kind of humble and wait your turn and that sort of thing. And if I had it to do over again, I would just, I always say this to myself before I go into a meeting act like an entitled white guy and i spent <laughs> more of my life when i was younger acting like an entitled white guy and just saying going into meetings and saying here i can do this you'd be insane not to hire me here's what i'm con-. and and i've spent so much time trying to be um just be nice and be fun and be easy to get along with and uh no i would i would like to be an entitled white guy if i could do this all over again there you so go
1: i'm starting to to do that getting that brain space yeah you know i i i used to notice in my classes in my in person classes every time somebody would pitch every time a woman would pitch she would apologize first yeah. and i had to have a no apology um rule basically like you cannot pitch and and start with the apology you Mm -hmm. know because even though you're trying to be nice someone immediately goes oh there must be something to apologize for exactly yeah yeah and you know and and frankly what you said is like you know these guys would stand up and they'd be like this is the best idea ever listen to me listen to me right now (laughs) and I was it was interesting, and a lot of it has to do with again how we were raised, right? And you know, a, a generation of this is how what we reward in women and all that, and hopefully, you know, our our sons and daughters think differently. Um, I,
0: hope so. I hope, yeah, I really do, because I just look back on times when I was sitting at a round table. And the guys would come in and have – and I knew I had better pitches, but I was still waiting to be polite. And now I don't do that. When I when I go do a roundtable, I'm always one of the first people to talk because it also makes it easier for you once you've already gotten an idea out. Then you can feel like, okay, I can move
1: on with this. So now I'm just – I'm being an entitled white guy. You go so. for it. And also yeah. like a little bit of when you get that idea out first is sort of like if yeah, follow that. Luck. <laughs> 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 That's right. Now you can build on my thesis. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I didn't ask you about, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I, I forgot to ask you about Last Man on Earth. Um, oh, yeah. yes. And I loved that show and talk mm-hmm. about having to build funny from nothing because you, you know, literally put a guy on all alone on Earth. <laughs> Right? right, right, and then you know more characters do present themselves. Um, you were co EP on that, right?
0: Yes, yeah. I started on the second season, actually. So I, so Will Forte was actually technically my first writing partner. Um, because he got me my very, very first writing job on the MTV movie awards. So he they hired me because Will agreed that I was his partner. Oh so that's so
1: cool. Super and, nice. and you wrote a little movie together, right? You wrote a, a, a TV movie?
0: It was called Castaway Dick and it was a castaway parody with Andy Dick. So <laughs> there you go. sign of the time so <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, so it was so much fun to get to work with Will again on that, but it was also really a learning experience, um, because it was the first, uh, show that I had worked on, which was not super episodic. So it was much more about big seasonal arcs. So we actually broke it much more like a drama season, um, so that was really fun. That was a really good learning experience. Because there's also, a,
1: a lot of triangulation b- between the characters, right? She yes. likes him and he likes her. And then, you know, and all that, because that's all you can do when there's nothing else on earth is just right. kind of screw with each other. Right. It's just, <laughs> yeah. she has betray each other and fall in love and all those yeah. very human things that people are going to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, so was fascinating. Also, hot tip never work for a showrunner who is also in every scene because you're just waiting in the writers room for hours and hours, and hours. <laughs> try try to work for a non-acting showrunner just, <laughs> just if you like your families if you don't like your families do
1: Oh, that's right. Because of the long days. Yes. And you're waiting waiting. and waiting and waiting. So I think we have a theme here, which is no more waiting for Erica. No more waiting. (laughs) Done. done. Waiting.
0: Getting this on my own. I'm not waiting anymore. Got
1: it. Erica, I have to say this has been so helpful and fun. If you want to point people toward looking for projects uh, on their TV that you've contributed to so they should keep an eye out for Clone High for Clone High
0: whenever it comes out and the Cat in the Hat feature which will be like 85 years from (laughs) now No rush to see any Erica Rivanoia work anytime soon.
1: (laughs) But pretty much Erica has had her hand in almost every other thing that you love that you just happen to flip to on TV. Yep. Yep. There's her name. So enjoy that. Do you um, do you are you on social media? Not so much.
0: I am, time, but right? I have a private account. Yeah. It just depresses me. Twitter just makes me sad. So
1: Okay. All right. And that is fine. That's no but problem. But I do not judge those that are. Okay.
0: But thank you for having me. This was so much fun. And I, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here.
1: Yeah. I'm really glad you were too. Cause it's, it's been a long time coming. Um, before I let you go, I'm going to tell every remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv. Um, I have my classes online. Like I said, we're in the middle of the rewrite techniques class right now, but the next class ahead is writing TV at the end of October, and it is a four-part class. The fourth part is taught by Carol Kirshner. She'll be teaching the business side of it. And with me, you will be uh, breaking story on your pilot, but also getting an entire pitch together for your series so we do a lot of work in a very short amount of time and it's a lot of fun so go to onthepage.tv do check that out and other things and thank you again to erica you rock thank and you, you roll you are the best i appreciate You're you yeah awesome. and and you know you might be even cooler than the cat in the hat like i think cat, <laughs> cat in the hat's like one of the coolest guys ever but you might be cooler than that needed that there you I'm go just- There you go. Thanks to all of you for listening and have a good writing week.